you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me in Romans chapter 8? Please remain standing, Romans chapter 8. If you are visiting with us, maybe aren't familiar with the Bible, um, just exploring Christ, then um, we're glad you're here. And so we've printed the text for you on page 9 of the worship guide. Um, we're going to be reading verses 8 through, or sorry, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 17. You can find that in the Pew Bible on 944. If you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to take one of those Pew Bibles home with you. Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers... We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. You may be seated. Would you pray with me one more time and ask God's blessing on his word preached? Lord Jesus, you are a king. With all power and authority, you are a prophet who, when you speak, lives are changed. Dead men rise from the dead. Dead souls come to life. And so we pray by your Holy Spirit, speak to us through your word today so that we might experience in profound ways your life-changing power. We ask this, our Savior, in your name. Amen. Well, as we have, if you're visiting with us, our regular pattern is to work through books of the Bible, and we have been working our way through John's Gospel. And as we have been in John's Gospel, I have frequently said that being a follower of Jesus is both 
is relational, so it's experiential, right? Jesus is alive from the dead. He's unlike other religious leaders, right? They are remaining in the grave. Other world religions teach things to us, waves of life, but Jesus dead and also raised and reigning is a person who is alive and so being a follower of Jesus is relational. We relate to him as a person and as such is also experiential. There is an experience of Jesus that is part of having the Christian life and that experience is always based on the truth of God's word But since God's word is God speaking into the world, it is also meant to be an experience of God. God speaks through his word and by his word, he mediates his presence to us. God is present now here by the Holy Spirit. And so we've slowed down the last couple weeks as we've been in John 14 through 16, which is Jesus's final discourse. He's He's the night before he's tried and crucified and he's telling his disciples sort of last things. And in this section of John's gospel, one of the things that he really focuses in on is the person and work of God, the Holy Spirit. So we've talked about him and his work the last couple weeks. And I sort of, to be honest with you, had this sense, this week as I was preparing John chapter 17 that the spirit was sort of saying there's more that your people need to hear don't quite change the channel yet so we're not going to change the channel we're going to find ourselves here in Romans chapter 8 it's not a bad channel to stay on we're studying God's word in John's gospel and that's always where the spirit wants us to go back to God's word and I sort of planned out our study of John's gospel to lead us to the beginning of Advent on the first Sunday in December, and I just messed up my schedule. But I thought about that. I thought, you know, throughout the Bible, that's often one of the things that the Spirit does. God's people plan, and then God messes up the schedule. The Spirit does. In fact, in, in Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul wants to go to Asia But the Spirit, we're told, forbid him from going. And so then he plans to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit prevents him from going there. So he ends up in Macedonia. And that's sort of all Luke tells us. We don't tell us how the Spirit prevented him and forbid him from going. He just did. And it's a reminder that God the Holy Spirit is a person. He has plans and he works. It's not an impartial force. And as God, he is sovereign so he has his plans and his plans always win but then again I could just have made this decision because um, I didn't have enough barbecue this week who knows Um, we're never quite sure and so I've had many conversations this week with many of you that have benefited from the last couple weeks of teaching on God the Holy Spirit And when you get to God's word, this is where we find the ultimate place where we should getting the spirits prompting in Jesus in John chapter 14 and through 16 just really camps out here. And so let's camp out here another week or two. We'll see. And today I want to talk about the experience of the spirit to make the gospel 
come alive to our hearts with power. Power. In other words, one of the experiences of the Spirit's work in the lives of God's people is to give us an otherworldly experience, assurance that God loves you because you are in Christ. The experience of the Spirit in Romans chapter 8, one of these pivotal chapters for understanding the work of the Spirit. If you really want to understand the work of the Spirit, camp out in John 14 through 16 and Romans chapter 8. And one of these pivotal teachings of Romans chapter 8 is that the Spirit comes with power to give us an experience of God's love for us because we are in Christ. But the first thing that we need to do to understand that experience is to understand the work of the Spirit is to illuminate the Bible. We saw that last week. One of the works of the Spirit is to write the Bible and then to illuminate, to shine a spotlight, we said, on the work of Jesus as it's given to us in God's Word. This is the height of His work. But there are textures and layers in our own experience for what that work feels like. Honestly, I, I sort of left last week thinking I... I felt like I made the work of the Spirit seem too super rational, too heady. There's more to his work, not less, not less than giving us the Bible and helping us to understand it. But there's more to it. There's layers to it. And to understand that experience of God, the Holy Spirit, in our lives, experientially, we really need to follow the theme of the Spirit through the Bible to see that first that God, the Holy Spirit, is the power of God at work in the world. You can sort of understand it this way. This is the work that the Father does. The Father plans. This is the work the Son does. The Son executes the Father's plan. This is what the work of the Spirit, He applies it to us. He makes it come alive in our lives. The Spirit's the power of God. And and how many of us would characterize our experience of God as one marked by power? Performance, maybe. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to do all the things that he said. Maybe I'll perform the right way. And, and, and subtly what creeps into our minds is that then I'll experience God's love. God's love has been earned for us by Jesus Christ and has been shed abroad in our hearts by faith. In the Holy Spirit is not something to be earned. It is only to be given to those who are in Christ. But how many of us would, would describe our experience of Jesus as one marked by God's power? And perhaps it's because our sense of what God is doing in this world, our sense of his mission is too tame. Perhaps it's because... We're just such pragmatists that we default to relying on methods instead of God, the Spirit, person. Perhaps it's because we've resolved just to be satisfied with the status quo and we've lost hope because we've tried every other method. But Jesus in the upper room discourse in John chapter 14 promises another helper. 
when he speaks of God the Holy Spirit. Another one who is like Jesus. And Jesus' ministry was marked by power. Power over demons. Power over the storms. Power over congenital blindness. Power to raise the dead. Power to heal the blame, lame. Power to provide with just a little bit a picnic lunch that feeds 10,000 people or more. Who knows? Jesus' ministry was marked by power and his promise to give God the Holy Spirit another helper is a promise to be present in our lives with power. But to understand this, we really need to go all the way back to the beginning and see how the Spirit was working God's power in this world. And it follows this pattern. He was present at creation, really, to understand God's work, you always have to go back to the very beginning. And the very beginning of the Bible starts this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. You get the picture. A dark, foreboding, dangerous, chaotic place. It was formless and void and dark. And then Genesis 1, 2 immediately begins this way. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. And that that word hovering is the language of an eagle, a mother eagle hovering over her nest, flapping her wings to bring life to the young chicks that are in the nest to stir them up so that they could soar one day. And the Spirit is over the dark, forbidding, foreboding, chaotic, Place And he's stirring it up so that at the end of God's work of creation, the spirit has created out of the darkness this flourishing place where life is in abundance. And then the spirit and then darkness breaks in again through Adam's sin and through the rest of the Bible. The spirit plays this key role as the power of God to bring abundant life. At the tabernacle, the Spirit equips the builders to build a beautiful dwelling for God to dwell in. And the prophets speak with boldness to an unbelieving nation because the Spirit is present with them. When Jesus is born, He is born fully God and fully man to create a new, whole new humanity. The Spirit is there giving the power for that to happen at Jesus' conception. In Jesus' ministry, He's present for His works of power and His faithfulness. In Jesus' death, because the Spirit is there empowering Jesus, He's able to bear the weight of God's judgment. And here in Romans 8, we're told that when Jesus breaks the power of the curse of sin and rises from the dead, it is because of the Spirit's power. He is the spirit of the resurrection and now he is the power of God at work in people's lives. John chapter 14 verse 6 and I'll go to give another helper. He's with you. He's been around you in my ministry. Here's the promise. Now he'll be in you. And that's a very similar picture that Paul is painting in Romans chapter 8 of the work of the spirit to bring Life in abundance with God's redeeming power out of the darkness. And so in Romans chapter 8, verse 6, he sets this. This is the world and us were broken in sin. So verse 6, the set the mind on the flesh 
on the sinful pattern of living in darkness is death. But verse 2, the law, and here he means power, the power, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law or power of sin and death. He's broke the bonds. That God's people now walk in freedom and he's contrasting, Paul's contrasting two different states of being. Those who live in the bondage to sin and only obey its commands and those who live by the power of the Spirit who set us free by the resurrection of Jesus. The old broken world of sin is characterized by being enslaved to evil and the evil one, the evil of our own hearts, the one who has the spirit of Jesus no longer, no longer walk in dark, formless, chaotic, chaotic parts of our being. Because there's another world that exists. There's another kingdom that exists in this world where the spirit of life sets you free from the power of sin and death and And so these two worlds overlap in our world. These two kingdoms create the kind of tension that we feel if you're a follower of Jesus. Because you have God the Holy Spirit. Right? You might be wondering, how do I get the power of God in my life? It's not a second blessing that comes later on. Look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, you're in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. You see what he's saying? If you belong to Jesus, you have the Spirit of life. He dwells in you now. And one of the marks of the Spirit's presence is boldness. One of the marks that the power of God is dwelling in God's people is boldness. Look at verse 15 kind of freedom. You might say boldness and freedom. Verse 15, you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs of Christ. It's boldness to cry out, Abba, Father. Daddy, please help. When do you cry? When does a child cry out that kind of way? And the word for cry is not sort of a whimpering or even a please help. It is a cry in the midst of pain or fear or danger. It is a loud yell, a plea for help. Abba, Father, help me. And you're crying out because you are in pain or fear or suffering. But in the midst of that, what the Spirit is doing is convincing you that the God, the Father, in Christ, loves you. So deeply that He will come to your aid. These words, Abba, Father, by the way, in the midst of pain and suffering, were first on the lips of Jesus as he hung on the cross. Abba, Father, please help. And you see the pattern because Jesus 
Jesus, those words were on Jesus. He was, he was abandoned for our sin. Those words by his spirit are in the midst of our hearts because we will never be abandoned by God because of our sin. It's not enough for God to say, I love you. It is only enough for him, to, for you to experience the love of God. You see, that experience is what Paul describes in Philippians 4, 7 as the peace that passes all understanding. I'm overwhelmed. This world is overwhelming me. My own sin is overwhelming me. I feel in complete and utter despair. And in the midst of that, the Spirit is teaching your spirit to cry out, Abba, Father, because God loves you, so that you would have in the midst of that a peace that passes understanding. I can't explain. Something has come upon me. If you have your Bibles, look at verse 23. I've not printed this part of it, but verse 23. Kind of hammer this point home again. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit. That's first fruits, by the way, is the language of God's kingdom breaking into the darkness. We have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly. We had such emotionally loaded language. We groan. We groan because our bodies aren't working the right way. We groan because we're waiting for new bodies. We groan because life isn't working the right way, so we're waiting for new heavens and new earth. We groan because things don't go the way we think they should go, so we're waiting for God to fix them. We groan inwardly as we wait. You see that in the midst of the experience of suffering, we're groaning. Verse 26 now, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And he himself groans for us because we are groaning in pain. In some ways, that's the tension we feel, isn't it? We are still in this old broken world. We're suffering, but we're suffering with the Holy Spirit ministering to us in power. So there's this tremendous hope in God's love that gives us a peace that passes all understanding because that is the experience of God's love. Boldness, because he loves me and I can face. I can face persecution. I can face trials. I can face anything that comes my way because the Spirit has convinced me. He's given an experience of God's love that creates boldness. Boldness. Not only boldness before God, but boldness before others. Let me share with you three experiences. I was thinking about these this week, and I thought I need to share these with you. Three experiences of the Spirit's assuring of God's love for you in Christ that creates boldness. I had a friend who moved into a really bad part of town. Drug addicts, gang shootings, prostitutes, pimps. And he, what he did is he moved his family there for the sake of the mission of God from the safe part of town to the darkness, to bring the light of the gospel of Jesus into the darkness. And one day as he was walking through the neighborhood, a guy pulls out a gun on him, sticks it in his face and tells him to give him everything. 
And my friend, who is a really mild-mannered guy and about my size, so guys my size don't tend to bow up against men guns, but in the spirit looks at this guy and says, do you know who I am? I am a child of the living God. My father rules heaven and earth, and you are messing with his son who he loves. And the guy drops his gun, apologizes, and asks for forgiveness, and my friend gets to share the gospel with him. Now, you need to know, I wanted to, I really was tempted to tell you, don't try that at home. But that's what we do. We de-emphasize the Spirit's power and try to tame His work. I distinctly remember a, a fight with someone whose opinion I value tremendously. I've told you many times, I am a lover of people's opinions. Fear of man just drives so much of my person, so much of my life. And there were things, but there were things in the midst of this fight that I needed to say to this person that, that would be helpful and redemptive. I was so afraid of saying them because I was so afraid of the backlash. I was captive. I was held prisoner to their approval. So I couldn't do anything but cower in fear. And I just distinctly remember this experience. You are God's child and he loves you. You don't need this person's approval. And it radically changed me. It set me on a path that allowed me to listen better, love them more, speak the truth in love, receive criticism. Even if it made them mad at me, I feel like I'm still on that path, but that was the beginning of that path. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and if children then heirs heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ if that's true we have nothing to lose in this world and when that happens when the spirit convinces us that that is true when he testifies to our spirit of the truth of the gospel it's such life transforming power that you are radically changed one more story I was in College. I'd only been a Christian for six months, and I was on a trip with my RUF campus ministry to New York City, and we were in one of the worst parts of town. I think we were in Hell's Kitchen, which if you go there today, it's kind of the hipster part of town, but then it was really bad. Drugs, prostitutes, pimps, dangerous. And there was this deep, oppressive sense of evil, not just of danger, but just the presence of evil. And look, I'm a white kid from the suburbs. I don't know what to do with that stuff. And then just out of nowhere, just completely out of nowhere, there came this tremendous assurance that Jesus wins over evil all the time, that no one can touch a hair on my head because apart from the will of the Father who loves me and that I'm here to break into the darkness of the light of Jesus. It wasn't an assurance that everything was going to be okay. It was an assurance that God loves me and is for me and that Jesus always wins. And no matter what happened, that was still true. So why are we talking about this? Let me give you four reasons, three, four, four reasons fairly quickly and then three next steps because I want us to leave out of here with some next steps. 
four quick reasons. Why are we talking about this? Because, well, because we're in the part of John's gospel that deals with the work of the Spirit. But over the last few years, I have been come, become keenly aware of a few things in my own life both internally in my own heart and and externally in my circumstances, a few things that have made me hunger for more of the Spirit's work of power. That's one. Two, I'm, I'm reaching that age where I know that some sin is so deeply entrenched in me and in you that the word of God must be tended by the Spirit and His power. Three, there are no strategies that will effectively reach the lost in our cities or our own families except for the dependent strategy of the gospel of Jesus in our hands, tended to by the Spirit of power. We need more of that. We need a fresh move of the Spirit to convince us again of the sufficiency of the gospel to create the kind of boldness that would see a movement of God in our own families, our own lives, in our own church, in our own city. Not method-based, here's what we need to do, but dependent, we need the Spirit to move Forth because when the Spirit testifies to our spirit and that we are adopted sons and beloved, when the Spirit convinces us that these words of Jesus, just as my Father loves me, so I love you, then the world cannot stop the force of love that will be the emboldened church of Jesus Christ. So, now what? How do we get more of this? How do we experience this kind of power in our lives? Three things. One, this is going to seem so obvious, but it has to be said. Don't neglect God's word because the Spirit will use that tool to bring that kind of assurance. Notice in every one of these experiences that I've described, all the Spirit was doing was taking the reservoir of God's Word and making us experience and believe it in fresh and new and boldened ways. If you want more of the experience of God's reassuring love that comes with power and makes you bold, then you have to spend time with the tool that the Spirit's going to use. But that's not enough. Not enough time just to spend time with your Bible. Two, from Luke eleven thirteen, Ask for the Spirit to work with that kind of power. Luke eleven ten. For everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, it'll be opened. That verse has been misused so many different ways. We're going to get to the proper use of it. What father among you, if the son asks for a fish, will give, instead of a fish, a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He's not something to be earned. His favor has been earned in Christ. So ask. 
God, give me more of the Spirit's power. As I get to my Bible, I want the Spirit to give me an experience of your love and its truthfulness. Third, again, these are just so simple things. Enjoy this meal. This meal right in front of us. Because the Spirit is present here to seal God's promises to your hearts. See, in an ancient world, the seal worked like this. A king would have a signet ring. And when he sent a letter to his kingdom, he would put a wax seal and then he'd put his signet ring in it so that when people received it, they received it with his authority. They knew he was speaking. Well, the Spirit does that. This experience that we're talking about is the Spirit sealing these promises to us. And He'll use the simple bread and wine to convince us that this is not a table that we earn, but that's given to us. And this is a family meal where God the Father has set for us the gospel of His Son, Jesus Christ. And we'll not leave it just to our own designs as simple bread and wine, but we'll seal these promises to us so that we might be assured that just as you can taste and touch and see, this is how real the love of God for you is in Christ. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we oh beg you, come and, and work. Holy Spirit, we want to experience your power in these fresh, new, emboldening ways. So we are begging you, move freshly. Awaken us. Embolden us for the mission of the gospel and justice and redemption in our city. Move through our children's lives. Those who've wandered away, call them back even freshly and now that they would experience your power. God, please, with resurrection life, come and work and break the curses of sin. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.